Hi, Kelly. Hi. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to me. I'm like so excited about this, or talking to all of us. I mean, like, I welcome everybody <laughs> in the audience. I'm really excited about this one because I have so many questions myself for you. And then I opened up this poll on my Instagram, and I got so many, um, so many questions from people. So I was like, "Yes, this is gonna be great." <laughs> cool. Um, nice. So um, before we start, I would like to thank Lunafire for sponsoring this club, and I'm gonna tell and share a little bit more about them later. But I just want to like real quick deep dive in. Um, do you want to start with like introducing yourself? Sure. So, um, my name is Kelly. I am a virtual lawyer for entrepreneurs and business owners. Um, I help basically with, I help with trademarks, with contracts, with business strategy. So legally protecting your business, um, really encouraging business owners to be proactive about handling the legal. Um, that way they can potentially save themselves from getting in a legal trouble in the future and Generally, when you wait and are reactive instead of proactive, it'll end up costing you a lot more time, money, stress. Um, so that's one of the main things I do is try to um, promote legally protecting your business as early as you possibly can. Nice. Love that. Cool. And a little bit about myself. Um, I um, I worked in corporate before and I was laid off last year in June to COVID. And no, actually now, no, wait, not last year. Wait, I don't even know what year it is. I've been, no, I'm a little bit over one year in business now. And um, after that, I decided to start my own um, social media agency. And now I help clients with all things social media and I'm loving it. So yeah. When is a good time to legalize your business? And that I actually thought was like a really, really good question because I never really thought about it. When I started mine, it was, for me, it was like the first thing I did before I was like, okay, cool, I have this one client coming up next week let's start an llc <laughs> that's how i did things but like wanted to get your advice what do you what what do you say like when's a good time to like legalize a business um so i guess it depends what you mean by legalize because there's you know a bunch of different ways to protect your business um but if you mean like form your llc um you know that kind of depends on what type of business you have um you know the risk level of your business, a business that has a higher risk level, like maybe if you're an esthetician and touching people's faces, uh, that's a little bit higher of a risk than maybe like a copywriter. Um, so that can kind of influence how quickly you'd want to get your LLC. Um, but I pretty much kind of say that like, if you are planning to have an actual business, you know, this isn't gonna be just like a hobby or something that you might only be doing temporarily, then you should probably consider forming that LLC with at least, you know, by the six month mark or so, um, just to make sure that you are protecting yourself. Got it, that makes sense. So for anybody that's kind of new to freelancing or just starting out with their own company, what do you say are like the legal must-haves, like things they should do immediately? Um, generally, my recommendation to freelancers, you know, like for service-based businesses, is to get a client contract as your number one priority. That is probably the first thing you should do, either before your first client, preferably, or at least with the money you get from your first client. 
um, because there's just so many things that go into your contract. And if you just either, you know, download one offline or, you know, copy someone else's contract or try to write your own, you are going to be missing things that are going to be in there to protect you. Um, and it just, there's so many consequences of what can happen if you don't have that contract to protect yourself. And especially as, you know, you're a business owner now, you have to think like a business owner. So you really want to make sure that you are protecting yourself um, as soon as you start doing any type of business. Totally makes sense. And besides contract, I mean, I honestly, I just recently started also sending NDAs to kind of also protect myself, especially when I work on like certain strategies. So they don't let that. I know that my client will not share that with other people outside their organization. But do you say like that's like a must have for like people starting out? I guess it depends on the case, I think, right? Um, yeah, it depends on the business. I mean, my client contracts and the ones that I have in my templates already include NDA language. Um, they have an NDA clause in the contract, um, I, and I know a lot do. So I think it really depends on what type of contract you have as well, um, and also what type of business you have, um, especially if you have a business where you, you know, maybe you like haven't launched something yet, like a program name or anything really, um, and you're gonna work with someone else, um, yeah, it's definitely more important to have that NDA. Um, but overall, your regular client contract should have some type of NDA language just to protect pretty much anything else that goes on in your business as well, like your strategies and, um, you know, even pricing yeah. and pretty much everything that goes on in your business, your processes and operations as well. Nice. Um, so what do you say are like the big, the big brackets or like things that like every contract should, should include? Um, so it, that's a lot of people ask that question, but <laughs> it's kind of a hard one to answer because honestly, like I could list off a couple to you and you know, like protecting your intellectual property, um, uh, refunds, payment clause, um, a very clear and descriptive clause for the scope of your services. But overall, every clause serves a, a very specific purpose. Um, so that is really why like lawyer drafted contracts or lawyer drafted contract templates are just going to serve you better because there's so many clauses in your contract and all of them are necessary. Um, that's why like lawyer drafted contracts tend to be a bit longer, like you know, 10 pages or so. Um, and it's because even the ones that you might not think are important or you don't really know what they mean um, or why they're in there, like your governing law clause or something, they still serve a purpose to protect you. Um, so really everything in your contract. That's, that's funny because I think mine has like nine and a half pages and that's just like the master agreement. And then I have a separate document for like outlining the scope of work. And it's just, every time I send this, I feel so bad because you just send like 14 pages to review. But then I'm like, well, there's a reason we're doing this. So yeah. I, know, I feel the same way. And one of my clients said, like, she was like, I feel so bad sending this. Like, do I really have to send all of this? And I'm like, well, kind of, 
yes <laughs> like to protect yourself it's just like you know I've I've, tra- I've gone through my contracts so many times trying to like make it like less wordy or like you know is there anything that I can do to make this not as long um but you know that's just the nature of making sure that you have a protected business yeah exactly and one thing that I always read in those contracts, but to be honest, I never quite understood what it is. And at some point, I also gave up trying to understand it. But maybe you can help me. What the heck is this word called indemnification? I, I think that's the word, right? I don't even know what yeah, that means. That is, that what is, is it? What is, is it? Basically, <laughs> a clause to um, that, in my opinion, that's definitely like the most confusing clause just to kind of like grasp what it even means and to figure out like who what party it's talking about because so sometimes um the indemnification clause will be mutual in that case it's kind of like easier to understand because both parties agree to indemnify each other which basically means that like they're agreeing to kind of like cover the other person um should anything happen um, usually from like something that happens in a, something with a third party. So like, let's say you are a copywriter and you, you know, you're, someone hires you to, or yeah, so someone hires you to write the copy for, you know, whatever, like emails or something, but then, and then, you know, you input it in your emails and it's good, but then a third party comes and they're like, they they contact you and they say that like that was their content you know and they it's theirs and you're infringing you you basically you stole their content um but you hired this from the copywriter you know you didn't write it you didn't copy it you didn't know they if there's that indemnification clause um they are basically agreeing that like sure the third party has some type of claim against you because you know the the person that you you put the emails out they're going to come after you um the copywriter is agreeing to cover any losses that happens to you so like if the person sues you for copying them because it was your emails that you put out um the copywriter will have to reimburse you for those costs or cover that litigation oh okay oh i think okay now i think i like have a grasp of what it can okay oh wow okay to be honest, there's there's two things that running my business that honestly give me insane amount of anxiety. One is everything having to do with taxes. I'm just constantly terrified. And the second thing is everything that has to do with legal. But I feel like I've gotten a little better about it. So yeah, so talking to you definitely helps. Um, I had a question regarding late fees. That's actually um, interesting because now one year in business and now I had my first client that actually didn't pay on time, which was a complete new situation for me. Never had that before. And um, so it's going back to the contract to kind of see what it, what it was in there. And I was talking to some friends and my understanding was that um, the state kind of gives, I guess, a certain limit or so of like how much um, late fees you can charge or ask for. But then I have other friends that charge like this crazy amount and I'm like, wait, are there any rules or the rules that I have are just, I don't know what rules I'm following. Um, yeah. So I think that can be somewhat dependent. Um, different states might have different rules on like what you can charge and also what type of, of business you have. 
Um, so that's something that has to be like kind of checked through your state before you um, have it. Uh, because yeah, some might there might some states might have certain protections for the consumer to protect against like you know exorbitant charges basically. Got it. Okay, cool. Because I think I only charged like one percent, and I had a friend who just did this, and I was like this thousand dollar like project, and she was like, "Oh, late fees will be like fifty bucks," and I was like, "Oh, wait, <laughs> good for you." But how how did you come up with that number? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's it definitely differs. I I believe by by the state um, yeah. how much percent you can do, and also like the time limits might be different depending on the states also. Probably. Hmm. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, and that was actually a word also from Brenda, which I've never heard before. The nexus of your, which I guess I googled, which means kind of like the location where you set up your like legal formation. Is that correct? Yeah, so that also can depend on what type of business you have and what state you're in, uh, because different states might have different um, rules on on that uh it's kind of like something that they use to determine like if you owe sales tax in that state um if you have to you know pay because especially as like business owners and online business owners we're not anymore just selling necessarily to someone in our own state um so you know you might be collecting and paying sales tax to your wherever you live or wherever you do business um but if you do business in other states there are sometimes you might be subject to pay um, taxes in those states as well. So that kind of um, is used for that to determine like when a business has to pay taxes. Like some states have different thresholds. Like you made $100,000 that year in sales in a state, like an outside state, um, then you might have to pay certain taxes or whatever in that state as well. Um, so that's kind of like what they call it. Like, it, does that person have a nexus to that state? Um, and that it really varies by your state as well. Um, but that's definitely more for like collecting sales tax. So it's more so with like product-based businesses. Got it. So when I registered my LLC, I registered mine in California and a bunch of my friends were like, why didn't you do that in Arizona? And I was like, wait, why? So then it kind of opened this whole can of worms, but by then it was too late for me because I already registered mine in California. But I guess there are certain tips and tricks on like what state you can get, I don't know, I guess better, I don't even know what the outcome is of like registering in in like a different state. Maybe you can tell a little bit more about that. Yeah, so as a general like rule, usually what will be cheaper for you ends up being the state that you actually live in. Um, you know, because sometimes people just start a business and they're like, oh, I need to form it in Delaware or Wyoming or whatever, because they heard that someone, you know, someone with a huge company said that that's what they should do or something. But it really depends on where you're doing business and where you live. Um, because sometimes if you do that, you still might end up having to pay in your own state. So that is really also state specific because Um, Sometimes, like, if you live in a certain state but form your LLC and are doing business in another state, you still might have to register in your state as a foreign LLC. So, like, 
one that wasn't formed in the state you're living in. Um, and that depends on your state as well, if you have to form a foreign LLC or not. Um, so that's definitely an individual basis of like, will it actually save you money or does it not actually save you any money? And does it just cause you to have to do more paperwork because you didn't form in your own state? Um, California, however, would be one where like it would potentially be, you know, something to discuss with like an accountant when you're forming your business because only because California has that like 800 a year franchise tax um, for your LLC that most, if not all other states don't really have anything like that. Um, so for if you're in California, I would definitely say talk to an accountant about what's best and depending on where you're doing business. Um, but for any other state generally, the general rule is that like it in the end, in the long run, it likely won't change that much whether you file somewhere else. So it's probably better to file in the state you're actually living in. Makes sense. I had no clue that those other states don't charge the 800. I thought that was like a US-wide thing. It's like, dang. <laughs> okay. Yeah, every state is different. Like, it's all the way from, like, I think the lowest state might be even, like, 40 or 45 or something, uh, like a one-time fee to file. And then other states, yeah, California is the highest at 800. For New York, it was just 200, and it was a one-time fee. Um, you know, and you have to keep up with, like, reports, but not not the type of yearly fee that California has. Yeah, and, and it was also funny, I had no clue, but my accountant just told me that I actually have to call the tax board that apparently um, if you registered your LLC last year due to COVID, they were waiving the $800, but I had no clue about this. Honestly, I've no nowhere I was able to like even, like nobody ever told me that or like there was no information like publicly accessible that like shared that, that hey, you don't have to pay. So now I'm like trying to get my $800 back to see if they can prorate it for next year. But oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard that they did waive it. I forget the dates though of when they started that. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll, that's, it's on my to-do list. I have to figure it out. <laughs> yes. <definitely. laughs> so for um, anyone on here that does not have the resources right now to work with a lawyer one-on-one, -on -one, because right, obviously there's like a, a price tag to that. Um, what do you think about buying templates from certain sources? Like, I honestly, I did that myself too. Um, I hired a um, independent contractor, and I was like, okay, cool. I can go to my um, the 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 person I usually work with, and I was like, I already know getting this from him will probably cost me at least three four hours of his time. And and downloading that template was like I think two hundred and fifty dollars. So I thought in that case. Um, it was an okay deal that I made with myself, but um, just wanted to hear your thoughts on it because you're the pro. Like, do you in general think like this is good? I guess it also depends on like where you get them from and if they include everything. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to hear what do you think about like templates being available online? Yeah, so I think it definitely depends on where you're getting them, but a ton of lawyers have contract templates. I do as well. Um, I think if you are purchasing it from a lawyer that like is familiar with online businesses and stuff, um, then it's definitely a great resource and I definitely recommend that for newer business owners who, you know, don't really have the funds to hire a lawyer to draft custom draft every single contract. 
Um, and I mean, that's why I think a lot of us created them to kind of like fill that gap because when you're starting a business who really has like a thousand plus to invest per contract to have it custom drafted. Um, so I think templates by a lawyer are a great resource. And I think when you're just starting out or, you know, even anywhere in the earlier stages of your business, um, I think that it's a great alternative. And um, yeah, as long as you know where you're getting it from, um, then I think that's definitely a good option. And I think it's like, because I said like your contract is probably like your number one priority. I think the contract template is a great one. Also to get custom contracts, you not only have to pay a lot of money, but to have a custom contract drafted, I also generally like, I would only draft contracts for people uh, in my state because I'm only licensed in two states. Um, so for that, you'd have to find you know a lawyer familiar with the online business world also in your state. Um, so contract templates are kind of just more cost effective and also usually more easily accessible for the newer entrepreneur who is just starting out. Nice. Okay, cool. I hope that helps a lot of people in the audience that are just starting out. Um, okay, cool. What is a trademark and do I need one? Which I guess kind of goes with my other question I had, like, what am I supposed to do if somebody very publicly is stealing my ideas, my courses or something that I put out there? Would a trademark help with that or are these two different things? Yeah, so a trademark can help with some of that. So when you think of trademark, think of your brand. So trademarks don't protect your ideas or anything like that. Trademark protects the name of something that is part of your brand. So this could be your uh, business name. It could be your logo. It could be um, maybe a tagline that you have. It could also be the name of your like signature online course or signature group program name. Um, something that is really stands out as a brand and it basically identifies your business in connection with certain services. So like, you know, it's not just like a cute saying that you, you know, people want to sometimes protect like hashtags or a saying that they say a lot, but it has to also be related to the services or the services that you provide or the goods that you sell. Um, so um, your trademark, the reason that you want this is because it protects that name. That way you as a brand stand out and you can protect yourself from anyone else kind of popping up with the same or a similar name as you in a same, in the same kind of area. So what I mean by that is, um, let's say you have a, you know, a signature course for, um, you know, how to, get better at social media or something for like the newer business owner, um, whatever that name is, you don't want other people kind of popping up with the same exact name for a very similar course, because then there could be confusion. You don't really stand out. Um, you know, if someone is just like finding you on the internet, maybe they're not sure if this course is from you or it's from someone else because there's two courses with such a similar name in the same type of you know area they're both helping entrepreneurs on social media so having a trademark protects you because you then have ownership over that name 
in your social media area that you've applied in. Um, so then if someone else does pop up uh, with a similar name to you, you can send them a season desist, um, take it further. You can try to get them to stop using that name um, because you have rights to then use it. And if you don't have that trademark, then you don't really have as much recourse if someone copies your name um, or even has a similar name. So it, it's harder to stand out if you don't have a trademark. Um, also, if someone else gets it before you do, this happens you know, a lot of times with like business names. Um, if someone else gets it before you, they could potentially block you from continuing to use it or you'd have to rebrand um, or, you know, you might say that they copied you, so but they have the trademark. So then you would have to um, go through a lot of litigation, basically, to figure out who actually has the rights to use that name. Um, so pretty much, if you don't have a trademark, you, you don't own your business name um, or, you know, any type of program name, product line, whatever it is. Uh, you're kind of just using it only until someone else blocks you out of it. Um, and the thing with trademarks to know too is that it's not just an exact match. Uh, it can be anything similar. So, you know, maybe someone's course ends with academy and someone's course ends with program or school or something. Those, uh, but the first two words of each of their programs are the same. The person that has the trademark can still block the other person out, even though the name is slightly different. So that is a bit about trademarks in a nutshell. Damn. Okay. Wow. Okay. I had no clue. So I guess if I would ever launch anything course related, I guess there would be two things to it, right? Um, probably trademarking it as soon as possible. And then I guess there also goes a lot of work on your end too, because I assume whoever like the lawyer I would be working with would do all this like trademark research to figure out that can I actually use that name? And um, yeah, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so usually the first step in the process before we file the application is a search. Um, and it's also a kind of like equivalent in pricing to the application or sometimes even like more like part of the reason why trademark services cost a decent amount a couple thousand isn't just for the application it's for this first part and that's the search and basically that is done to like assess the risk level of your mark because the process itself can take about a year um, and obviously it's costly so you don't want to go through that whole thing if you're mark that you have is already in use by someone else or there's already someone with a name that's so similar that it's going to be really hard for you to get through um so that search really combs the whole internet the trademark office database but also the internet in general to really figure out if there is anything similar to your name um in somewhat of a similar or the same area so it doesn't necessarily matter if it's in a different area because like um for instance like dove deodorant and dove chocolate they can both exist as a trademark because they're you know such different areas like me going into a store i'm not gonna think that i'm not gonna get confused and think like that it's the same owner 
of the deodorant and the chocolate because you know they're very different goods um but if dove deodorant they're you know someone popped up with like a dove body lotion that's much more similar um so that's really why the search is done first to kind of like assess all of that beforehand and also to make sure that you're not infringing on anyone um and maybe they just like haven't found you yet um so that can kind of help with that as well okay so you mentioned that submitting this or the whole process takes a little bit of time so um once submitted am i then safe or like okay is to use that or do i actually need to wait until this is approved for me to like be able to use that name no so there's two different types of of ways that you can submit the application one is if you're already using the name and then one is if you intend to use it like maybe you didn't launch yet but you plan to um but both of those regardless of which way you file you still have to be already using your name before before the process can officially complete like so before you register your trademark it has to be in use you have to be selling it um in commerce so even though you might not get the official registration for like a year or maybe even more after um you can still be using it that whole time and really the benefit of getting your application in is that you hold your place kind of in line with the date that you file um because then anyone that tries to go after you um one you're going to pop up in their search result when their attorney does a search and then also for the trademark office they're going to look at your application first before the other one so you know if it's similar you'll get first priority got it cool thanks for sharing i had no clue yeah. but now i'm going to look into this well i mean i i didn't launch anything course related yet but it's i have some ideas so maybe i should like look into trademarking that yes it happens a lot with people's um business names as well um just because you know they start their business and then eventually or a couple years down the line they'll get hit it actually is happening right now there's a case on TikTok well I came across it on TikTok um a small business owner who has been in business for a couple of years she didn't trademark her name she went to I think start the process and found out that a follower of hers actually filed the trademark for her business her business name um and her services and stuff uh, got the trademark and is now because they now they own the words not her they said she can have it if they pay her $17,000 um so because she didn't file for her business name she has to either pay this person 17,000 rebrand which is going to cost thousands because she already has like thousands of dollars worth of inventory with the name on it um or continue with the the litigation for who actually owns this brand since you know it's this person technically stole it from her um but even so even though she was using it first entering into trademark litigation like this is going to cost like tens of thousands definitely over 20,000 um to do so that's just really like the importance of kind of doing 
the trademark earlier on than waiting until it's late. And also why you need NDAs for your client stuff because you never know what someone will do. That's a good point. Oh my God, that story is so sad though. I know, it really is. Oh, Oh my God. Nice, cool. Um, as you know, right, this club is sponsored by um, Lunafy, so if you ever want to check them out, um, it's actually really cool because what I really like about it is that it gives you like kind of like a live screenshot of how much taxes you owe, and I couldn't find it with any other um, finance tools yet, but it's really cool, so you can uncover pos- uh, possible write-offs and things like this, so if you want to check it out, check it out. Also, for everybody in the audience, the app is downloadable from the App Store. Cool. So, Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time coming on here. This has been incredibly insightful. I learned so many things. I'm so excited. And, yeah, I hope everybody in the audience loved it as much as I did. Yes, thank you so much for having me on today. Of course. Anytime. Well, then, see you guys soon. Bye. Bye.